Welcome to ChemEngCast, the podcast from the Department of Chemical Engineering at Imperial College London. We interview researchers and academics in the department to find out what they're working on and ask them to explain their research in easy to understand terms. I'm Sarah and I'm the Communications Manager for the department. And I'm Ben and I'm a PhD student in the department. And today we're talking to Lucy Barton, who's a member of two research groups, the Complex Porous Media Lab, which is Ronnie Penny's group, and the Petit Group, where she works on carbon capture. So uh, I grew up in Western Australia and that's where I did my undergraduate degree. So I did a Bachelor of Chemical Engineering with honours at Curtin University in Western Australia and then also worked for a little while for four and a half years as a process engineer before joining Imperial. A bit further into by, like my background, so my parents are actually English um, and also I was actually born in Johannesburg and spent a little bit of time there when I was young. So my family's moved around a bit um, and then I am a British citizen. I suppose when I was working I was really feeling like, you know, I really love chemical engineering. I wanted to get more into the detail, uh, just sort of open my horizons of different career options. Uh, And I thought, well, uh, I'm British. I know a bit about Imperial College. Um, I'd heard of it through work. And uh, I actually was quite um, determined to come to Imperial. So I was essentially like, it's either Imperial or no PhD, basically. So I was very uh, set on that. Um, And I also just wanted to move and have a bit of adventure outside of Australia. Um, It is very far away from a lot of places. Um, So I wanted to sort of get onto the European continent and explore. And so I thought London was a really nice option for me as well. Um, And then I also specifically found uh, it was Camille's group first. Um, And that really, really did interest me. For me, it was a nice way that I could use some of my existing knowledge and the best way that chemical engineers can really contribute to environmental sustainability. So those were all the factors that led me deciding to do a PhD at come to Imperial. So what was it you were actually doing uh, when you worked in Australia? Yeah, so I did a three-year graduate program and then one year out of the graduate program. Um, I actually spent my first four months being a data scientist, uh, started a bit early. And then I did one year where we were working on this really old facility. It was built in the 80s. Uh, supplies 40% of Western Australia's domestic gas, but also a lot of liquefied natural gas. And that year I was working on this big project, looking at uh, different scopes to uh, keep that plant running for longer. So we called it brownfields projects essentially so we were in the development phase so assessing different options Um, and I specifically was looking at domestic gas and nitrogen systems then in the next year I moved to work on the facility and I was a essentially a maintenance engineer for a year doing campaign maintenance and process safety risk liquidation and then I actually moved into process controls so I came back away from the gas plants and then we were working on actually more facilities in that team so we were sort of a centralized 
process control engineering team. And the main focus of that team was base layer control, turbine compressor controls, but predominantly advanced process control systems, implementing those and maintaining them. So I did that for the last two years, which was quite interesting, actually. Yeah. So is this in oil and gas, basically? Yes. Yes. And now you've moved across into, well, I guess it is related, right? But you're working on carbon capture technologies. Um, so I guess helping to greenify that that industry. Um, yeah. So could you tell us a little bit more about this research um, that you're doing now? Yeah. So um, my research groups, they're a key focus. Um, is so both of the groups have two two parts to them but for time's sake I might just focus on absorption uh, because that's what I work on otherwise it could go for quite a long time so uh, they the groups focus on uh, absorption based separations essentially and what's quite interesting about that is it goes all the way from synthesizing and characterizing and understand the properties of materials right up to process optimization, modeling and design. And so where I sit in that is really the process design and modeling. So what I'm doing is I'm taking information about uh, sorbents, uh, essentially. So all the important things that we need to consider when we design a process. And I do process modeling and I'm looking at a unique moving bed configuration for carbon capture applications using these solid sorbents and i've created a model where we can understand how does that process perform compared to other processes what type of cycles to regenerate this sorbent would work for this basically a rotating absorber is what i'm looking at and then i've also built a little experimental rotor absorber in the lab which we're busy commissioning at the moment uh, so yeah, the research is essentially looking at a unique process configuration for carbon capture, bringing in some innovation into that space to see if it can bring some benefits in terms of process intensification and modularization and plug-in systems. And it's taking a lot of the work that other people in my group do with material characterization and using that information. So look, I don't really know anything about carbon capture. What I yeah. do know, I think, is that these sorbents you talk about, so I guess that's the thing that's taking up the carbon dioxide or any other carbon source, maybe. Is it like a type of rock? No, so I would say uh, some people in my group look at rocks for carbon storage, which is a very interesting part of Roddy's group. But I would say that when we consider sorbents, and there's just such a huge range, it's a it's a porous material that's what you're trying to get so you do have more naturally forming sorbents which are used a lot such as zeolites and they're highly porous materials but you can also use things like cellulose and all and also metal organic frameworks which are metals with organic linkers so it's not necessarily or a rock it's a, a, a whole range of materials but essentially they need to be porous and whatever gas you're separating needs to have some kind of affinity to those sorbents. And there's different ways that that can happen. So you can have physisorption and chemisorption. 
Um, so Fizz's options, you know, weaker van der Waals interactions forming a an adsorbed phase on the layer of your sorbents, but you can also have chemisorbents, so amine functionalized sorbents, where you have a, a chemical interaction between the CO2 and the, the um, surface, and essentially you form an adsorbed phase. And the key thing is, of course, then you need to be able to regenerate these sorbents. So they need to have properties which allow you to regenerate them. They need to have selectivity for, for whatever gas. I mean, if we pull away from carbon capture, just in terms of gas separation, the gas that you're trying to uh, separate. Uh, so yeah, it's really quite a wide range of materials that you might come across that you would call a sorbent, but it's, a bit, it's about forming that adsorb layer on the surface. And so once you've sort of captured this carbon and you're talking about wanting to regenerate these sorbents, yeah. so what happens to the carbon once you've captured it? Is, is that then something happened to it to go and be stored somewhere? Yeah, so typically at the moment, the expectation is the majority of uh, carbon capture, what will happen when you regenerate, is that it will be stored. Uh, there are other utilizations that have been researched, like CO2 to methanol, uh, but they're really not scalable yet. Uh, there's also, you know, greenhouse applications, algae. But if we're really talking about large scale, difference making carbon capture at the moment until utilization moves further ahead uh, it is storage and that really sets when we're researching capture our requirements what purity for example of co2 do we need for it to be able to store be stored underground it's like one of the most obvious fields of research why carbon capture is so important like sometimes we do have to ask why is this important? Because it might not seem obvious. It's obvious why carbon capture is important to help deal with the climate crisis, etc. But why is what you're specifically doing important? So these these modelling and these sort of small scale lab approaches, why is that so important for the field? Yeah, so if we look at the, if we, if we go to the IEA, for example, um, and look at what they're saying about the state of carbon capture, at the moment, and you look at future projects, so even just our ambitions for scale up of CCUS, it's at the moment about a third of what it needs to be for us to actually meet climate targets. So we're really, even just with our ambitions, quite far off where we need to be. And we know that capture costs is the largest part of the cost of carbon capture and storage. Uh, so the, the key issues with that is that it is very difficult to cheaply scale up these capture units essentially it's possible to capture co2 we know how to do it to scale it up cheaply is challenging and that's why it really hasn't been widely widely implemented across industries and so and this is particularly like adsorption based carbon capture has a bit of a ways to go as well um so this is why the research that my group does and then also my own specific research is important so for example the people looking at materials in the group are trying to find better materials to make it cheaper and more efficient to capture the co2 what i'm looking at is okay can we can we have carbon capture via adsorption in this modularized easy plug-in units so it's easier to install on existing power plants or whatever um, 
yeah, so this innovation is just really important for that scale up and having more rapid deployment of CCUS because we're, we're very far away from where we need to be. And so these yeah. sort of capture units, would you envisage them being sort of in a, in a factory and capturing carbon that's being produced as part of a process or would they just be sort of in the street capturing carbon from the air? Yeah, so that's a good question because I think it's important to talk about the two types of carbon capture, right? And they have very different purposes. And also from a technical perspective, the way you optimize and your intent of the process is very different. So firstly, you've got post-combustion carbon capture. So that's where you might imagine a turbine for a power plant, a steel factory, something like that. And you capture the CO2 from what we call a flue gas stream. So you burnt something and you've got a flue gas stream ranging anywhere from like, let's say five to 25% CO2. The intent of that is to offset those emissions that you were, or not, I, I wouldn't even say offset, to prevent those emissions that you were otherwise going to, to emit. And so there's often very high recovery requirements on those units, although I would argue that they sometimes hold us back because we want the perfect 95% recovery. So then we just don't install anything. And sometimes I think maybe it would be better just to put something on and capture 75% and then improve it. But so that's post-combustion carbon capture. Then what you have is direct air capture. So that's what we call carbon dioxide removal technology or net negative emissions. And un unfortunately, because it's a very thermodynamically inefficient process, um, in the modeling by IPCC, carbon dioxide removal or net negative emissions is actually included in the 1.5 degree Celsius scenario. And so what that does is it takes ambient air, which is 400 ppm CO2, and really just removes CO2 from the air. And you can imagine it's an ultra dilute stream. The recovery really doesn't matter that much. There might be optimizations there, but it doesn't matter that much because it's from the air. Um, but it's a highly energy inefficient process because your streams so dilute. And so you wouldn't want to use direct air capture where you could use post-combustion carbon capture because post-combustion carbon capture is more from a thermodynamic point of view efficient, but we need DAC for negative emissions and also, for example, non-point sources like planes, cars, uh, those things that take a long time to decarbonize. So what are the hopes for your exact research that you're carrying out and where do you see it heading sort of throughout the rest of your PhD? Yep, so I suppose where I'm at is I, I feel that I've built good tools. So I've built a mathematical model and I've built an experiment and, and that's where I am. So what I would like to do for the rest of my PhD. So the next step is commissioning this experimental setup and using the results from that to see, OK, how accurate do we feel this mathematical model is? How well does it describe a rotor adsorber? And are these uh, inaccuracies scalable as well? But also um, there's very little literature on rotor adsorbers just in general and how they work um so i would like to through the experiment you know just get an understanding of how it works what if we change different parameters so 
And I, I also think it's quite a unique piece of equipment in our lab and it's been built from scratch with 3D printing and all new instrumentation, everything. So I just also think just having that working really well is a great base to go from even beyond me. And then with the mathematical model, we've gotten to a point where we've said, okay, we can determine the performance of this unit, the recovery, the purity, the productivity, and we can change all the different design and operational parameters, put it into this model and see what we get, see what performance we get. We can just, we can separate this rotary adsorber in any way to design cycles. So my next step with that is um, we're looking at a, quite a unique metal organic, organic framework material and we've looked at a cycle that we can implement um, using steam and actually there's there's one of those operating in the world by Svanti but there's not a lot of information about the performance how it works so the plan is to model that cycle now that we've got a good mathematical model and understand the performance and try different cycle designs um, and different sorbents in this model um, and when I say different sorbents, I don't just mean uh, the material itself, but also how it's structured. Um, so even looking at pressure drop benefits, you know, versus bulk density, all this kind of information. So we've kind of just got this tool that we can play with and there's loads of variables that we can change. But the first step will be uh, looking at the cycle with the CAF20 MOF and then and then looking at different design parameters with that cycle and how we can adjust it and then we've got some ideas for other cycles that can be tested and we're also going to look a little bit at adsorbents that you might use for direct air capture so CARP20 is more post-combustion and then there's some adsorbents um, for direct air capture that we want to try and my my project actually started as a DAC project I wrote a review paper on direct air capture but now we've extended it to to the whole range of applications because really the intent of my project is how does a rotary adsorber work how can we model it do we understand it and here's some feasible carbon capture cycles and designs and that's the intent i mean it sounds like you've done a lot already uh do you have much time left to do the rest of these sort of applications it doesn't feel like enough time i don't think it ever feels like enough time but actually, um, yeah, I mean, I'm only in my final year in May and I've already started uh, doing this CARP20 cycle and we're commissioning the unit now. Uh, so I would like to think um, that, yeah, I've got at least another six or more months before I need to write up. Um, and I've already written up, for example, my my initial model methodology. So we're trying to publish that at the moment. So I won't be going from zero there. So it feels tight and it feels like I'll have to work really hard, but I think I will definitely be able to provide some of that information, yes. What do you think the biggest challenges in the field are sort of generally, but also uh, for your exact research and what you've got to do over the next six months? Yeah, so in the field generally, um, and by the field, I'm going to take that as carbon capture using adsorption. And this is particularly for direct air capture, where there lacks. So something that our group is really trying to work on and really stresses a lot is there needs to be 
and sorry to use this sort of buzzword, but a lot of synergy between material development, process modeling and design. So you can screen and test a lot of materials, but it takes a long time to do experiments. Experiments are difficult. It takes a really long time to do good experiments. Um, and so what we need is a way to take the most promising materials, but like really characterize them properly. And this is particularly important with material kinetics, which my group works on a lot, and what co-adsorption of other components like water and how to model that and how does water impact. Water is a huge issue, particularly for DAC, and it's really not well understood enough for a lot of materials. And not having that information makes accurate process modeling really challenging. And for each material, you might choose to design a different cycle depending on its properties. And so the linkage between process modeling and materials has to be really strong. And we need to take the materials that we think are the best, we can't do it for all of them, and really properly characterize them. So yeah, particularly water and kinetics. Um, and I think that's the key challenge that is with the field, but actually what is great when I go to conferences is I think everyone is really seeing that and working on it. So, but that's my opinion, yeah. So what do you feel is the most effective way that you could communicate your research to a lay audience? The most effective, oh, I haven't thought about this before. Maybe that's bad that I haven't thought about it. I think actually for me, if there was somebody interested in my research and the rotary absorber, I would love to just take them into the lab and show them the little unit and explain the sections and then explain how it would look different in a larger process. I think really for me, that would be the best way if I could choose. What do you think the next steps are going to be for you sort of once you finish your PhD? You've spoken about the next six months and the write up. Do you have any idea what you want to do? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I think at the moment, my mind is really feeling a bit confused between how technical of an engineer do I want to be in the future, uh, basically. I am like really, really a, a chemical engineering nerd. I absolutely love it. So I love technical stuff. But then um, I think going into the future, there's a lot of exciting things happening in policy and energy systems and carbon emissions reduction strategies. And I'm just still trying to decide which of those. Um, to be honest, I don't think I'll stay in academia and I actually really love doing my PhD and I, I enjoy the environment, but I, I really do like being close to um, facilities. Thank you, mate. Um... Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a nice way to reflect, actually. Because you're normally just steaming ahead and you're never like, what have I done and what am I doing next? <laughs> <laughs>